Welcome to Palmdale United Methodist Church's podcast for Sunday, October 10th, 2021. May God use this as a blessing to you today. Let us pray. Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, we are squarely in the month of October, and for some, it's called Scare-tober. Uh, if you're a horror movie fan, then the month of October is your sweet spot. Just about every channel you can find on TV and streaming service uh, is uh, having scary movies this month. Except, Jody, I don't think the Hallmark Channel, no, they don't, they don't do scary movies. That's on a lot in our house. Uh, Personally, I am not a horror movie fan, um, so I was pretty surprised when I discovered this past week that there are eight major sub-genres in the category of horror films. Eight. Here we go. There are your psychological horror movies. Uh, These focus on the mental and emotional fear, Uh, films like The Shining, Psycho, Silence of the Lambs. There are your slasher horror films, usually involve a serial killer going after a group of people, films like the Halloween franchise, Friday the 13th franchise, Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, evidently very popular because they're all franchises, right? Uh, Then there are the gore films, uh, also known as splatter films. They deal with, shall we say, the vulnerability of the human body. Uh, Films like The Evil Dead and the Saw series franchise fall under that. There's body horror, which focuses on the human body that has been severely altered. So films like The Fly, The Exorcist, The Thing fall there. Uh, There's found footage horror. Now, this is a relatively new genre. uh, And the film is portrayed as if it's uh, discovered by the filmmaker rather than created by him or her. Films like The Blair Witch Project and Cloverfield all fall into this category. Then there's the good old-fashioned monster horror, which capitalizes on the fear of the unknown, uh, featuring often sci-fi or dark fantasy monsters, including, but not limited to, werewolves, vampires, aliens, and zombies. Films like Alien, Frankenstein, Godzilla, Jaws, I mean, you could probably list your favorites there as well. Then there is the paranormal horror, which is similar to monster horror, but this is with monsters that we can't touch. Supernatural entities like ghosts, spirits, and demons. Films like The Exorcist, The Conjuring, and Poltergeist. And then finally, comedy horror. Uh, In addition to making you scream, it also tries to make you laugh. Films like Shaun of the Dead, Zombieland, and Scream. Well... Welcome to a brand new sermon series uh, for Scaretover called Undead, Resurrection, and New Life in the Bible. Now, I am not taking a horror movie approach to this series by any stretch of the imagination, but there are a number of stories in the Bible about death and resurrection. So, for the next four weeks, we're going to look at different passages that deal with this very issue. The ancient Hebrews had some interesting references about life beyond the grave. Isaiah 26, 19. Your dead will live, their corpses... Oh, sorry. Your dead will live, their corpses will rise. You who lie in the dust, awake and shout for joy. Psalm 16, 10. 
For you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. Daniel 12, 2. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Job 19.26, and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. Many of you grew up praying, if you grew up in church, praying the Apostles' Creed. It's an ancient statement of faith that Christians have been reciting since the 5th century. And it starts, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. The very last line of the creed says this, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. So life after death, from the 5th century we've been saying this, bodies coming up on the, from the ground, it kind of sounds like the making of a zombie movie, doesn't it? Well, we begin our series in the Old Testament book of Ezekiel. I'm grateful to Finley for reading this week. The book of Ezekiel as a whole was written in and around the period known as the Babylonian exile in Israel. Now, along with the Exodus period, the exile was probably the most significant period in Israel's history. It was a time when both, when the nation, both in the northern kingdoms and the southern kingdom, uh, was torn apart by foreign superpowers that just swooped in and wrecked havoc. The temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. The best and the brightest were carried away into a foreign land where they were forced to live for 70 years. Chapter 37 of Ezekiel is known as the Valley of Dry Bones chapter. Verses 1 and 2. The hand of the Lord came upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were very many lying in the valley, and they were very, very dry. I mean, it is a striking image, don't you think? A valley full of human bones scattered all over the landscape. Some commentators suggest that the setting may have been a former battlefield where hundreds of soldiers have been killed and their bodies just left on the ground to decompose. Others, however, see it as more of a symbolic location. As Michael Williams in his Storyteller's Companion to the Bible remarks, the reader feels the eerie quality of this walk through the debris of human failure. Margaret S. Odell, in her Smythe and Helwey's commentary on Ezekiel, suggests that the, the setting may actually be traced back to treaty curses. Treaty curses. See, in a number of publications from the ancient Near East, it was frequently mentioned that uh, one of the ramifications of failing to uphold one's end of a treaty or, or of a covenant would be to have the violator's bones left to rot out in an open field. And so some commentators say this scene then from Ezekiel 37 was evidence that the people of Israel had rebelled against the Lord, that they had not been faithful. They had not lifted, uh, lived up to their ends of their covenant with God, and thus their bones were strewn about. Jeremiah, a contemporary prophet to Ezekiel, speaks about this very same thing in Jeremiah chapter 8, the first two verses. At that time, the bones of the king of Judah, the bones of the princes, the bones of the priests, the bones of the prophets, the bones of the inhabitants of Jerusalem shall be brought out of their tombs and they shall be spread 
before the sun and the moon and all the host of heaven, which they have loved and served, meaning they have not loved the Lord like they should have, which they have gone after, which they have sought and worshipped, and they shall not be gathered or buried. They shall be as dung on the surface of the ground. So Jeremiah is predicting this time when uh, the Hebrew people will come upon them from the lowly inhabitants to the mightiest of kings, that they will have their bones spread out on the land for all to see. And the scene says to any who would pay attention, there are consequences to rebellion. And Israel has not been faithful, thus the nation is virtually dead. Back to Ezekiel 37, verse 3. The Lord said to me, mortal, can these bones live? I answered, O Lord God, you know. So in this place where death holds triumph, the prophet Ezekiel, God's messenger, is asked a very poignant question. Can these bones live again? Now, if you were in Ezekiel's place, how would you answer? Uh... Well, God, no offense and all, but uh, these are bones, right? Uh, They're dead, dead, like really dead, like no chance at all for life dead. I mean, it's going to be a hard no from me, um, just saying, right? You ask me, that's just my honest opinion. No, that's not what Ezekiel says. I answered, oh, Lord God, you know. Now, the cynic among us might say, oh, very calculated and smart answer. Ezekiel didn't say anything that might incriminate him later, right? Well, that may be our 21st century uh, uh, bias coming into play. German theologian Walter Eichrott in his Old Testament library commentary on Ezekiel sees it differently than that. He remarks, no words by Ezekiel, are wasted on human hopes of resuscitation. Responsibility for answering the question is shifted onto God's shoulders. Margaret O'Dell says that this statement by Ezekiel encompasses an acknowledgement both of human failure, the bones, and of divine possibility. That with God, all things are possible. We as humans have indeed been less than we could have been and should have been, and now the ball is in God's court, which is a pretty good court to be in. The creator and author of all life. Verses 4 to 6. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I will lay sinews on you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and I will put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. Now, it may seem like a waste of breath to be preaching in the middle of a valley of dry bones. I mean, it's not like there's any ears left on those skeletons, right, to hear what's actually being said, if you know what I mean. Yet when God says, speak, it's best that we listen and follow. So Ezekiel, the prophet of God, this man of faith, whose job it is to speak the words of the Lord, has been given a divine task. Verse 7. So I prophesied as I had been commanded, and as I prophesied, suddenly there was a noise, a rattling, like the song that we just sang, a rattling, and the bones come together, bone to bone. I looked, and there were sinews on them, and the flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. And we cue the Beatles song, come together right now over me. Yeah, I 
probably won't make singing my career. But anyway, the ancient church father Ambrose once wrote, it is the prerogative of God to raise the dead. Amen to that. But there's something missing, right? We, we've just got a, a, a bunch of reassembled skeletons that are just lying there on the ground doing nothing, right? Not, not breathing, that's for sure. Verse 9. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, mortal, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. And so I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood on their feet, a vast multitude. And so now life has returned to this valley of dry bones. I love Frederick Buechner's description of what took place. Listen to how he puts it. He writes, the first thing that happened was a sound of rattling and clicking like, like the tide going out over a million pebble beaches as the bones started snapping back together again. And the next thing that happened was a, a million reassembled skeletons pulling on bodies like long winter underwear. And the last thing that happened was the color coming back to a million pairs of cheeks and the sparks to a million pairs of eyes and the breath to a million pairs of of lungs. Isn't that great? The breath coming back to a million pairs of lungs. The Hebrew word for breath is ruach. In English, it's translated as wind or spirit or breath. And all in all, it occurs 10 times in this passage from Ezekiel 37. It was the ruach, the, the spirit that led Ezekiel out into the valley in the first place. He prophesies to the four ruachs, the four winds, and then the ruach, the breath, comes back into the bodies to make them live again. Many commentators have seen a connection between this passage in Ezekiel and the, the creation story of Genesis chapter 2. God created humankind out of clay, but it was a lifeless vessel until the ruach, the breath of God, was breathed into Adam. Walter Einrock, writing in 1965, says this. Ezekiel's words suggest that he thinks of the spirit as being a sort of an invisible fluid, which pervades the whole world and communicates life to it as God commands, so as to impart life and growth everywhere in the created world. And then me being a Star Wars fan thinks, ooh, that sounds just like the force, doesn't it? Right? You know, maybe, maybe Star Wars is more tied into Christianity than we give it credit. In 1932, this synagogue was discovered in eastern Syria. Known as the Dura Europis Synagogue, it dates back to 244 A.D. 244. This Roman outpost on the Euphrates River was preserved virtually intact in 256, the city's inhabitants filled the whole synagogue with dirt in order to fortify the walls, figuring if they're going to be attacked by the Persians, maybe if it was completely full, the walls wouldn't crawl down, fall down and they wouldn't lose their synagogue. And what's remarkable is what they preserved inside. The synagogue contains frescoes or wall paintings of the earliest continuing surviving biblical narrative. Archaeologists 
were so blown away by this that they moved the walls to Damascus in order to preserve them. And these are the only surviving biblical wall paintings from the ancient Near East other than uh, floor mosaics that they found. Ezekiel's valley of dry bones is depicted on these walls. Touched by God's hand, Ezekiel stands among the severed limbs in the valley against a backdrop of a mountain split apart by an earthquake. The four psyches, these four female uh, winged figures, they correspond to the four ruachs, the four winds. Uh, They form when the spirit is summoned. And then they descend to bring life to the scattered bones of the Israelites. It's amazing that that these are almost 2,000-year-old depictions of biblical art. Verse 11, Then he said to me, Mortal, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, "Our, Our bones are dried up. Our hope is lost. We are cut off completely. Now remember, the original setting of the prophet Ezekiel was the Babylonian exile, right? This period of time in Israel's history when their nation was invaded, their capital attacked, their temple, the center of their faith was destroyed, and thousands of people were carried away into a foreign land for 70 years. It's no wonder that the people felt as though they were strewn across the landscape like, like dry bones, with no life and no hope whatsoever. Verse 12, Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, I am going to open your graves. I'm going to bring you up from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you back into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and I bring you up out of the graves, O my people. I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you on your own soil and you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act, says the Lord. (laughs) This is no horror movie, not at all. I mean, despite bones uh, and bodies coming to life from out of their graves, this has zero place in a Scare-tober lineup. This is exactly the opposite of Scare-tober. And when God's people felt as though their lives had been like, shall we say, the walking dead, I had to throw in a contemporary zombie uh, reference there. Anyway, uh, uh, that the, the they would be, uh, if they were living in their own graves, they saw no hope for a future that was apart from the misfortune and trouble that they knew all around them. In the midst of this dis- decay, God sends a word of resurrection. When you think things couldn't get any worse, God gives you a word of hope. God tells the people that not only uh, will, will they have a future, but he will bring them back to Israel, which eventually did happen, and they will have a chance to start and renew their relationship with God. God chose to put his ruach, his spirit within them. And as the king of kings and the Lord of lords, he demonstrates his power over the forces of death every single day. And God's life-giving spirit is made available for all of us who need to be renewed. And this is a uh, precedence that we'll comment on again and again as we move through the next three weeks in this sermon series. Ezekiel 37 is a powerful message. 
But it's important for us to recognize it's not addressed to an individual person. It's addressed to the community, to the entire nation of Israel. And so it invites us to look at, while there are maybe some connections to our own individual lives, we need to be looking larger. Where is it that we need to see new life and resurrection here in our communities, in our country, and in the larger world? Where are we torn apart, scattered by division? I mean, in some ways, it it kind of feels like we're living in a battle zone, doesn't it now? I mean, no longer do we seem to have unity as Americans. Our political preferences and proclivities have become more and more of a dividing line that we are unwilling to cross and to bridge towards community. Now, granted, freedom and opinion and uh, of freedoms of opinion and personal belief, that's always been a hallmark that we Americans have, have cherished, but it sure seems like we've become obsessed with telling others why they're wrong and why we're right. I wonder if we're becoming dry bones, void of life, unwilling to extend grace to one another, people who intentionally want to suck the life out of anyone who believes differently than we do. Or we can look within our own faith, within uh, Christianity. We've become known as Christians more by what we're against than by what we're for. And we set our progressive or our conservative flag in the ground and we question the other side connection to God. I mean, how could anyone be a Christian and believe what they do, we wonder. We forget that Jesus said, you know, they'll know you're Christians not by what you believe, but by your love. We take refuge in what we deem to be theological correctness And I have to wonder, are we as a church, as as the Christian faith, are we becoming a valley of dry bones? Friends, the good news from Ezekiel 37 is that it can still be a word of hope even for us today. If we listen, if we allow God's spirit, the ruach, to break down our barriers to enter our souls, we don't have to, of course, no, no, no. We can continue to uh, be content with dry bones, but really, that's a horrible proposition, isn't it? May it not be so for us. May we be open to God's Spirit filling us, our community, our country, our faith, this world, with new life and resurrection. And all God's people said...